So if you have those practices, a mindfulness practice, a physical practice, if those things are part of you every day, that slow leak isn't quite as severe in the end because you've been managing it all this time. Hey, everyone, and welcome to The Handbook, your guide to life, leadership, and health. And I'm your host, Gene Reed. That quote you just heard, this Jen Boy Lowe. She is our guest on today's episode. This is episode number two. Jen is a trauma-centered yoga and meditation teacher, Reiki master, sound healing facilitator, along with a bunch of other certifications she has. Listen, I put this episode out one week early. The reason I did that was the the amount of information we covered in this, and, and we're really just scratching the surface. However, the topics that Jen covered, whether you're first responder, military, civilian, whatever your role is in society, when it comes to meditation, mindfulness, and dealing with stress and anxiety, you will take something away from this episode. So I'm going to leave it at that. I hope you enjoy the episode. And as always, if you learn something, share something. Thank you. Jen, here's what I'm going to do to open this up. I'm going to take a quote, or this is on your website, actually. Okay. It's like right on the first page. Mm -hmm. You have, I help those on the front lines find relief from stress and anxiety through small daily practices. Does that sum up pretty much what you're doing? Absolutely. Yeah. That's my, that's my goal. And no matter what practice it is that resonates with you or, or how you connect to it, that you just see how simple it is to invite in really small daily practices that can make a huge difference over time because, you know, it's not just that you guys are dealing with hypervigilance in your job or, or stress in your job one day. It's that cumulative effect of stress on the body over time. So if at the same time you're kind of pouring into yourself uh, with some of these practices, you know, and, and, and whatever resonates, it doesn't have to be all of them all at once. It can just be those small actions that create a big change over time. That's really my biggest goal. Right. Now, let me go through some. So you are a trauma-centered yoga and meditation teacher. I don't know how to pronounce this. Is it Reiki? Yeah, Reiki right. master mm-hmm. um, and sound healing, sound healing facilitator. So yes. those are some of the things you have on your uh, website. And the goal of all this or some of the things that, you know, you can get from this is better, better sleep, conquer anxiety and let go of build-up frustration. Absolutely. It sounds like a magic pill to <laughs> everything, more or less, but... I watched, uh, like I told you before this, I was watching some of your YouTube videos last night, right? And I almost was jumping out of my seat because you're hitting on resiliency, hypervigilance, cumulative effect of stress, and that's everything that I've been reading about and all the literature out there, mm. all that stuff. So bring me, like, how did you get started in this journey towards meditation and, and just self-healing and all this? So years ago, you know, and and growing up, I was dealing with what I now know was anxiety and panic attacks. At the time, I just thought I was, you know, stressed out in school, in college. I remember, you know, feeling stuck in my tracks at some point and and thinking, 
geez, I'm just in my dorm room folding my laundry. Like what, why am I so worked up right now? So over time, I started to be drawn more and more to practices of, you know, how can I help myself in a non-pharmaceutical way? Because I did go to a doctor at one point and say, hey, listen, my stress is like over the top. I don't know what's happening. And I did say I was finally willing to try a couple different medications to see if it would be helpful. And what I personally found was that they were really awful for me. Um, They did the opposite of what I hoped they would do. So I was really interested in finding a non-pharmaceutical way to connect in a different way with myself and help regulate myself to the point where I didn't get that that frozen feeling when I got um, anxious or, or, or over anxious. So, you know, of course, my husband, Bill, you know, Bill, I do, uh, was on the department for an awful long time. And how many um, years did he do? Uh, just over 20. Yeah. Most of that time was on SWAT. Yep. <laughs> so, so um, he had stress. I had stress because of his stress. I was worried about him and all the all the stuff that the spouses go through, you know, praying that the training is enough, but also, you know, you can't help but worry uh, a bit. Sure, absolutely. Can we go back to your anxiety real quick? So yeah. when did that start? Like, how do you remember how old you were kind of when that started? I was young um, because I was a swimmer at a really high level. And I used to, uh, you know, my swim meets would be in Canada, right, or right. or something like that. And it, they were high stakes things. And I just thought that I was nervous about being in a high stakes event. But really, maybe I was, you know, eight, 10, 12 years old, mm-hmm. if I if I think back to when that started. Right. Okay. I, I bring this up because I had uh, panic, panic attacks and anxiety when I was younger, too. And it's funny because I didn't have this realization till a few years ago, I guess. But I was a little bit older. It was like third, fourth, fifth grade. Mm-hmm. No idea what started it. Yeah. I was involved in sports. But just something happened where I started getting panic attacks. And I grew out of it at some point, obviously. But I never... What what helps me in just through schooling when I read things is putting labels on things. Mm-hmm. It was kind of similar to what you just said. You realize like, oh, this is what that was or what it is. So I realized when I was younger, I was having these panic attacks. It would happen in social situations. Uh, even going to school, I had to get taken to school by my principal a couple of times, like mm-hmm. when I was three years old. I mean, this was like debilitating. I said three years old, I meant third grade, uh, third, fourth grade. Like I said, eventually I grew out of it. I want to talk about anxiety because it's a fascinating thing to me in the sense of I thought I was unique, but I mean, does ever, do most people, does, doesn't everybody experience anxiety? Yeah, I think absolutely. I think it just looks different right. in different people. And I think people kind of keep it to themselves. Yeah. So you might feel like, geez, I'm the only one feeling like this or something's wrong with me. Mm-hmm. But really, I think it just manifests itself differently in different people. And it shows up in different levels of intensity, too. And I think that's that's one of the things I know. I don't know if it was in class here that I uh, shared it with the group, but it's like there's this huge continuum of what stress and anxiety can look like. It can be as simple as I'm having trouble sleeping. I'm feeling kind of off. I'm having trouble engaging. I don't necessarily want to be in a public situation or a social situation. 
Or the other end of the spectrum is just completely debilitating, where you feel like you can't move. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I can recall a time getting dressed to go to an event and literally not being able to walk out of my closet, right. like just saying like, no, <laughs> forget it. Yeah. I'm, I need to, I need to kind of step back for a moment. And, and I'm very open about it. And it's funny because I'll have, you know, we, we have paid job assignments, right? These overtime assignments, you can yeah. go work and I'll just talk to anybody about it. And it's amazing. People are like, oh yeah, well, I kind of get that when I do X, Y, and Z or whatever. So I really started, I really did think I was unique. I was like, oh, nobody else, but everybody does. Mm-hmm have anxiety and i i personally use anxiety as a a guiding force so for me personally if something makes me anxious even now it it actually tells me i'm kind of on the right path towards something because it's getting me out of my comfort zone so Mm. public speaking not a huge fan of it let me start a podcast right so right open water swimming terrified me start doing triathlons right so i kind of take it to that level where if something gives me anxiety, I'm like, let me just go crush it. Let me just go do that, which works for me. Yeah. Can't say that works for everybody else, but I'm glad you brought that up because I don't think people realize that everybody kind of is experiencing this anxiety. Yeah. And it's kind of smart that you're, you're, you recognize the anxious, you know, trigger for you. And then you say, okay, here's the action I'm going to take to kind of work through that. So sometimes people experience anxiety and they pull back, almost like touching a hot stove, like, oh, I don't like that feeling. I want to get away from that and remove themselves. And that is almost uh, more detrimental in the end. So the fact that you have the awareness that this is happening and you use that anxiety as like like this marker or this uh, directional arrow like okay now that you know the trigger here's where we need to go to to move through it that's really one of the biggest things is that all these practices can help you do too is you become the observer of the thoughts and you realize that maybe the thoughts can kind of have a mind of their own Right. So so it's using those anxious times as a marker like, hey, this is getting my attention. How can I how can I move through this in a way that's going to be meaningful for for me? Because what works for me is might not work for you at all. Right. So, yeah. And I think that's great because you have so many different practices out there. Now, I would like to think I would like to say breath work is universal. Um, Maybe not like the way I deal with it. Probably not best for uh some people you mm-hmm. know uh and other people may have other ways of dealing with it but have you heard of the book uh emotional survival for law enforcement um is that is i'm trying to think of the author's name G- is gil martin dr something gil martin uh, no i don't i don't think i know that one there's another one i have i think it's like resiliency for first responders and it's written by um, a woman who was a former law enforcement and then became a psychologist. It's yep. on the tip of my tongue. Absolutely. I just spoke to, I can't remember her name either, but there's a Newark retired officer who she went and got her doctorate and she's a, involved in the world of psychology. But this emotional survival for law enforcement, the reason I said I was watching your videos and you're talking about hypervigilance and cumulative effective stress, because that's what that book, mm. um, and we're going to try and start getting that in the academy just to put names to things. Hey, if you're experiencing this, it's because of that, or it could be because of this or whatever. And that goes into resiliency and hardiness, all that kind of stuff. So let's do this. Breath work. Mm. Like I said, I think that's something that I started exploring 
maybe about a year ago. I read a book by some retired Navy SEAL. It's fascinating mm-hmm. that Navy SEALs now are coming out of the woodwork. So I'm connected with one in particular, uh, Michael Vega, and I've uh, I've probably referenced him a million times on my social media. I've that's kind of the the like we were talking about the good parts and the bad parts of social media. The good parts are the people who are immersed in this work. Um, they are coming out of the woodwork and they are making their voices known. And because of that, uh, you know, people in your profession are more likely to listen. Absolutely. So, you know, I've not put on your uniform. It was in my closet for 20-ish years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, you know, I wasn't out there doing your job, but I certainly had a, a maybe a passenger seat view of uh, what, what you go through. Sure. So the fact that now... Um, and it also helps because of the trainings I've been a part of, like through Warriors at Ease, um, uh, especially, or through iRest uh, meditation. So many people are retired police officers, uh, retired Navy SEALs in particular. Um, and they talk a lot about the breath work. And we use the same practices, you know, I share the same practices, I should right. say. And I think the the one that I was you talk about circles and squares and I'll let you explain that more but box breath is what I have right what I have done and that has been so you and I, again I'll I'll let you explain this for the listeners and all but there you hit on something in one of your videos where you talked about tightness like you can't get a full breath in kind of thing and you feel mm-hmm. a tightness in your upper chest mm-hmm. and that clicked with me because I've done the box breathing I've gotten pretty proficient at it, and I consciously do it several times throughout the day, just randomly when I'm driving or or when I'm at work. I would say three to four months ago, I was working a ton of overtime trying to pay off my wife's car. Like just (laughs) every time I could work overtime, I was working it. Yeah. And I was going through my daily box breaths and doing this breathing, and I couldn't get that. I know what a full breath feels like, and Mm -hmm. I know what a full exhale feels like. I couldn't get it for Mm -hmm. a couple days. And now I have that as a resource where that's my gauge for levels of anxiety and stress. If I can't get that full breath in, and I remember I was at work and I went and we had this place called Churchman's where we go get fuel and all. Mm -hmm. I sat there for 10 minutes. I was like, I got to get this full breath because I felt that tightness in my chest. I I eventually worked through it, but that's why the breath work for me is, is very important. So I'll let you take the floor on that. So explain what is breath work? What are we doing? And what are some things people can can try? So your breath is almost always a reflection of your mind. Okay, so say that you're super stressed out and your, your thoughts are racing or you've been at work and it's been a really long day. You've been at one thing after the next. Chances are your breath is pretty shallow. And what we know about shallow breathing is that it helps to uh, stir up that sympathetic nervous system response. And your sympathetic nervous system keeps you in that fight or flight mode. Uh, your your heart rate is different. Your digestion is horrible. Um, and it just kind of sets you into this spiral with your nervous system that you don't want to be in all the time. You know, hypertension is a thing for police officers. Hello. Right. So we don't want to be going down that road. So when you, like what you're doing, engaging in breath work, you're helping to remove yourself from that, you know, that constant fight or flight feeling and moving yourself into more of a rest and digest mode. And that's the parasympathetic side of your nervous system. So 
by using something as simple as your breath, you can help create a really significant, you know, neurobiological change in your body, that brain-body connection. And the bridge for that is your breath. So I, you know, if you've... uh, maybe seen online or something. I have like circles and squares. I talk about circles and squares. Just because in the moment when things are hitting the fan and you realize you can't get that breath, or maybe you're at a critical incident and everything's heightened, right? You need something simple to go to. I don't want you having to think about neurobiological markers or something, you know, when you're in the middle of it. So circles and squares, that's easy to remember. So for circular breathing, I like to explain it like you're smoothing out the breath and you're extending it and drawing it out just a little bit longer than normal and maybe letting your exhale go a little longer than the inhale. And every time you extend your exhale, you are triggering that parasympathetic nervous system response. And that's what you want. You want to be able to help, you know, downshift and regulate the nervous system so that way you can stay sharp and return back to what you're doing. Because, you know, maybe you're in the midst of a critical incident. Sure. You have a second. And, you know, let me say this too. It's something that is an invisible accommodation for yourself. It's not like you have to go find a mountaintop, you know, when you're in the middle of something and go sit cross-legged and put your hands up or something. It's not that at all. It's as simple as you're standing there, people are talking to you, and you decide, I'm just going to stretch out these breaths so I can kind of recenter myself and get back to work. So circular breathing, I like to say maybe you're breathing in for a count of four, maybe five. I envision that I'm breathing around this circle and then let the exhale match. So maybe you're exhaling for a count of four, maybe five. You're smoothing out the breath. You're breathing a little bit deeper than normal. It's a completely invisible accommodation and you've just given yourself this gift of regulating your nervous system sounds super simple but there's a lot of things happening in the body that connection between the brain and the body and you're going to be sharper because of it yeah let me just touch on that you i think you hit on something really critical there the fact that it is so simple john yard and i in our last episode in episode one we talked about meditation and mindfulness and this breathing stuff has a stigma to it I don't know. Sure. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I think people think it's, I use the word hippy dippy. Yeah. And I think it's so simple that people think breathing could this possibly, no, seriously, it really is though. Right. Like it makes, it, it's just something that everybody can do. And you hit on this in one of your videos where you don't, you don't need a gym. You don't have to go to a mountain. You don't need, it's just in you. It's wherever you are, you can do this. Right. It's available to you all the time. So You know, I think when people realize, and especially people that are in such high stress um, work environments, when you realize that you have within you the ability to create a change, you might feel completely overwhelmed or be super stressed out, but you do have the ability to create a meaningful change just by paying attention to your thoughts, your breath, maybe the breath helps you create space between those thoughts. When when you get those looping thoughts started and you're having trouble sleeping, 
just creating a little bit of space over time, you'll be able to create even more space. And you'll be able, like you mentioned earlier, to notice those markers, notice those times when the anxiety is starting to get the best of you. You'll be able to notice them quicker. So say, for instance, you're anxious or you're, I don't know, you're stressed about something that that could happen sure. and you're and you're dealing with that worry and maybe it plays out the whole scene plays out well maybe the next time that comes up because of a mindfulness practice like using your breath you're able to catch that a little sooner and maybe as it starts to play out you say oh wait you know right now in this moment everything's okay mm-hmm. and actually that didn't happen so let me let me take a few deep breaths here and kind of recenter myself. Right. The sooner you can interrupt that, the better off you'll be because what happens when you play out something horrible in your mind, maybe you've been to a terrible scene and you keep seeing it over and over and you realize every time you play that out, your chest gets tight, your breathing is restricted. You might even have your hands clenched. Your arms might feel tight. Your legs, it's like electricity through your whole body. So when you take the time, just those little moments, like you said, breathing in your car, like mm-hmm, right. you're breathing in your car anyway. So yeah. you may as well just pay attention. Just add your attention to your breathing. You'll be able to interrupt that cycle a little bit sooner and create enough space that you'll feel more ease in the body. And that's really in everything I do. That's what I want you to get the most. I want you to be able to find ease within yourself. Right. I think it, this particularly is useful for law enforcement. You started touching on this a little bit. I don't know. I'm sure there's a theory out there for this. I call it the haunted house theory. Maybe Mm -hmm. I'll make this theory up one day, (laughs) but I think law enforcement officers, I call it the haunted house theory because let's say you walk through a haunted house, the first door you go through, uh, you get scared, right? Somebody jumps out at you. Well, now the entire time you're going through that house, you're in an elevated, because you keep thinking that's going to happen. You come up on a similar door, you think it's going to happen. I think the same thing happens with police where you go domestic and everything's good and then shit hits the fan and something bad happens and you have to go hands on with somebody. Well, if you go to two or three more domestics that day, like, don't you think your brain is going to be like, hey... Remember what happened last time? And you start playing it out. And I think what you're talking about, just being mindful, break up the thought a little bit. Let me focus on my breath and, and kind of go that route is probably a great idea for law enforcement officers or military listening. I know we're kind of jumping around a little bit here, but I want to go back to the uh, Navy SEAL thing, how yeah. they're starting to come out. Yeah. They were silent forever. Right. And it's great now. I think that they're coming out with this with this kind of stuff. And I'm assuming they must get some type of training. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, buds and the training they go through. Everybody's very familiar with it now. It's it's, you know, one of the toughest trainings out there. Um, the person that you're teamed up with or, or mm-hmm. the person that, you know, mm-hmm. what does he bring to the table? Like, what does he talk about? Oh, wow. Uh, so much. And you. I mean, I'll have to have you talk to him one day. Um, But he, from his Navy SEAL experience and from all of the operations and from seeing all of the, you know, really tough and horrible things that he experienced and the the necessary violence, um, he came back 
and was, you know, handed a bag of pills. And that's what a lot of veterans, I think, can identify with. That it's like, okay, well, here's a pill to handle this. And here are two more pills to handle the side effects of those pills. And uh, why do you, why do you think that happens? Mm. Why? Because this mindful, mindfulness mm-hmm. stuff in the breathing, it, it does work. And it's not just, there is clinical research out there. And it's, we're, oh, yeah. you know, we're talking about science here. We're not saying like, oh, this is... um. You know, when people just give their opinions on things, no, it's it's actually documented. Yeah, this is definitely not pseudoscience. This is all real. I will say in the in the past, I think that was the go to. I think it was just like, here's some pills. Here you go. Now, I will say that I rest the type of meditation or integrative restoration that I am trained in. Um, that was funded by the Department of Defense. So there is a big shift now. Uh, within the government to recognize these practices. Now you can, um, I rest is considered part of your recovery process. Uh, So, you know, yoga is recommended. Mindfulness practices are now recommended. So there is a shift happening. um, Absolutely. But, um, you know, I think, unfortunately, we are just kind of a pharma kind of country well there's money there's money to be well, made from yeah that. so mm-hmm. i think that has a lot to do with it but 100 percent. and this is probably what i'm going to be researching for my school stuff for my dissertation is mm-hmm. and i think it, it, i always come back to the military and the special forces because they fascinate me mm-hmm. but something i found was they all have in common is once you start getting into these specialized units whether it's navy navy seal army ranger whatever it is mm-hmm. One of the common traits of all of them and all those trains is you have to have a very high level of physical fitness. Yes. That's not, is their job require that? Yes. But I think they're tapping into something else where, and this is what I'm going to be studying is, does your level of fitness have an impact on when you start experiencing burnout in law enforcement and your level of resiliency? I, my hypothesis is yes, um, but I, I want to know like to what degree, right? So go ahead. So I think physical fitness is a huge component, um, but also that ability to handle the mind and the breath as well. I think that's where, you know, with Navy SEALs, it's box breath. I call it square breathing just because it's circles and squares for me. I just want you to connect with the shapes. But, you know, I think without one, you can't have the other sure. um, because you could be in your best shape of your life and your head's not right and you can't be in a, a super specialized operation and, and be all over the place. And Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, I think what that might be tapping into is, and this is just me thinking out loud, but I think individuals who have high levels of fitness have learned to use their breath effectively and learn to conquer their mind a little bit. Uh, you ever heard of David Goggins? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I got introduced to him when his book first came out. He's changed my mentality on a few things. Mm-hmm. And something that he says you should do every day is do something that sucks every day, whether it's taking a cold shower or going for a run when you don't feel like it. And I've really tapped into that, and I, that's worked well for me. But that high level of fitness that you should be keeping, I think it allows you to tap in your brain. And I've learned so much about myself. Mm. just from doing and again i have a tendency to take things to the extreme i do it's just my personality but i'll do things like two christmases ago i went to a track early in the morning did a mile of lunges 
because it was something hard to do. Right. Um, now your husband does the Ironmans. He's kind of in the similar category. I just thought that was something really hard. So I went and did an Ironman. And I always just try and find different things. There's this mountain up in North Jersey called Mount Tammany. It's basically a mile to the top, very steep elevation. Uh, not too long ago, I drove up there, got there at 4 o'clock in the morning. I was like, how many times can I go up and down this in 12 hours? So I just spent 12 hours just to have that in my mind yeah. for when tough things come up. Like, hey, you remember that time you mm-hmm. went to the track and did a mile of lunches? <laughs> this is nothing. So just working through that. That was just me thinking out loud about yeah. how fitness works its way into breath and, and conquering the mind and all that stuff. Well, I will, to piggyback on that, there is something that's very measurable called HRV or heart rate variability. I don't know if you're familiar. Yeah, very familiar. Okay. So, so that's a huge piece. You know, if, if your heart rate is elevated all the time, that's not good. No, not at all. <laughs> that's leading you straight down that, you know, heart attack lane. We don't want that. So when you do have a physical practice in place, of course, you know, I like yoga. I tell you all all the good things about yoga, but it could be anything. It could be any type of physical practice. It could be lifting weights, jujitsu, martial arts, anything it is that, you know, running, whatever gets you out there. You know, when there is a greater heart rate variability, those are all amazing indicators that you're going to be really good under pressure. You're going to be able to, you know, go out on a SWAT op and perform. You're going to be able to perform under those those high stress situations that if your heart rate was elevated all the time, that might be what puts you over the edge and gives you a heart attack. Isn't it funny? A lot of people get mixed up with heart rate variability because they think that the more consistent it is, the better that would be. It's mm, not. It's, it's the, the, the more vari- <laughs> variability there is. That's that's good. And, exactly. You know, a lot of people get mixed up with that, but they are from from what I've been told from people. Of course, I am not. I am a civilian. I was not in the military, but um, that it is used as a, a a marker now to help them identify like who's going to be uh, able to handle X Y Z. Who would be great for this kind of training? Do you have this type of heart rate variability now, or what do we need to do to cultivate that to get you into the space where? Yeah, you heart rate variability is really, apparently professional athletes have been using this for a long time. I'm sure the military obviously as well. But you, I mean, it's something you can measure frequently. You can measure it. In, the best time to measure it apparently is in, in the morning when you're at rest to measure that. But um, professional athletes are using that to dictate their training for the day, mm. right? So if their heart rate variability is not in a good place, maybe that's an active rest day. Whereas mm. if it's you're looking good. Hey, let's crush today. Let's have a really tough workout because your body can handle it. I'm assuming the military is probably doing similar things. Maybe not to the point of, because at, at some point you just need to suck it up and get over it and go do your job. Sometimes there is that part of right. things. Right. But yeah, heart variability is um, definitely at the forefront. Let's do this. Let's talk about box breath. Yeah. Can you work through, how is that different from circles? So we got circles and squares. Right. How are squares different? So the circular breath, you're smoothing it out. The square breath, you're interrupting the breath. So you're creating a little bit of space for yourself. So if you envision that for each part of it, you're tracing around part of the square. So for instance, you're inhaling for a count of four up one side, holding for a count of four, tracing across the top, right? Exhale for a count of four, tracing around the other side. And then for that last portion, holding for a count of four. So 
think about when you have a really anxious moment or if a panic attack is coming into play. You know, your breath is probably getting uh, to a place where you feel a little out of control. And that's probably one of the scary parts about an anxiety attack. You feel like something's happening to you as a like you feel like suddenly you don't have control of your own uh, breath or maybe thoughts anymore. So when you engage in, okay, like if you just think to yourself, okay, squares, breathing in for four, hold for four, exhale and hold. You're creating not only uh, some guidance for yourself, so then you can kind of take that control piece back, but you're also creating the space between the breaths so that shallow, really upset type breath kind of has to slow down a little bit. And when it does, maybe you go through it a couple of times. And I'm not saying you're going to feel amazing just instantly, but you might have, okay, like, all right, I can take a deep breath now. I can kind of get myself together. And then maybe you take a break and breathe naturally. And then maybe you do it a couple more times. Um, It's just something to help get you back on track. Can I ask you this? Is there, does it make a difference if this is, is this nasal breathing, mouth breathing? Like, should you be, I do it through my nose, right? All inhales and exhales. I don't know. Like, is that how you're supposed to do it or does it matter? I always recommend breathing through the nose. Um, So, you know, there is a type of breath uh, in yoga. We call it ujjayi breathing, where you actually constrict the back of the throat. It almost sounds like sometimes they call it uh, Darth Vader kind of breath or ocean breath. Um, where you're constricting the back of the throat and um, kind of narrowing how much oxygen you're taking in at a time. So I recommend breathing through the nose. I think that's a nice way to uh, slow it down, smooth it out. To me, that like panting uh, mouth breathing is a little too sympathetic nervous system for me. It's a little too elevated. Sure, yeah. You probably got very good... And again, I have a tendency to jump around, but you were talking about being a competitive swimmer. You were probably a very efficient breather, right? With swimming, I would assume. Yeah, I was a distance, unfortunately, a distance swimmer. (laughs) (laughs) I never, never was really happy about that. But um, what kind of distances? uh, Sixteen fifty, the mile. um, You know, two hundred fly. Just so I can feel awful about myself, what would you swim the mile in? Oh, geez. I can't remember. <laughs> I don't know. We'd have to look it up. Yeah. <laughs> I think I've blocked to... it all out. I can't remember. It's uh, swimming was like my job for a very long time. So uh, do you still swim now or was it was it so much of a job then that you could just stay away from it? It was so much of a job. I uh, it's not my first thing, but I love being in the water. Mm. Um I do love when I swim, I have a a huge smile on my face now because no one's telling me to swim 7,000 miles or 7,000 yards a night. So, um, you know, those were those were some some long practices. I talked about uh, this with John Yard on episode one, but that was swimming was the most meditative for me. Yes. Especially in the pool, not in open water because it's terrifying. And (laughs) but in the pool, especially if you're in a lane by yourself. Just stare. There's no, there's no sound. Well, there is sound, but your ears are underwater, mm-hmm. you know? So it's just, you just better think about something or nothing and you just stare at the black line. 
Exactly. Much. It is it is very meditative. It's repetitive. Very meditative. Your breath is regulated. Yep. I mean, it's like all it checks all the boxes. That was the biggest thing for me was with swimming. Once, you know, I went from barely being able to swim 100 meters to swimming 5000. Like once you figure the breath out, that's all it is. Yeah. It's just and the the way it was explained to me, it should be no different than you walking. Just breathe in and breathe out. Stop holding your breath when your face is in the water. Just breathe out like a normal person, you know? And that was a big, you know, cue for me anyway. But Bill was the same. Yeah. When he started swimming, he hadn't been a swimmer and it didn't take long. And now he's, you know, Ironman, Ironman, Ironman. How many Ironmans has he done? Uh, six. I don't know. I forgot. Yeah, it's a lot. And we call that... them racecations. We go well, on vacations for yeah. <laughs> for races. Yeah. You guys have been around. I know. I mean. Yeah. He was a great mentor for me when I did mine, and nothing against Ironmans, but I'm one and done. Yeah. I just have no. <laughs> not that I didn't enjoy it. Like I felt, I took my time. I think I did it in a little over 14 hours. I felt great when I got done. Like I wasn't. My feet were hurting a little bit, but other than that, like I didn't really. Uh, pushed myself to the max it was just an experience and it was great mm-hmm. and but those races are an experience i'm sure they I are i mean he's done it multiple times but i just remember just the crowd and there's people there and it's really cool it's pretty awesome yeah and he's been doing them with uh my friend's son who um has mitochondrial disease so he's they've raced together they did a half iron man together and they're looking to do a full together. Which so. is absolutely amazing. It's it's a total cry fest. It's awesome. To think, yeah, that just brings a whole nother element to it. Yeah. Beyond the physical. Yeah. I mean, yes, so. that, that just adds a whole nother physical element to the to the piece of the pie. Um, so good. Yeah, that, that's amazing. Now, does is your is he into the breath? Like, do you talk to him about breath work and he's just on board? Like, has he always been on board with this? Like. I think at first, uh, way back when I first um, maybe got into yoga and stuff, it was kind of like, oh, that's, you know, that's, that's nice. so good for you. <laughs> <laughs> good job for you. Um, I mean, he was always supportive of me doing it, but I don't know that the connection was there with how helpful it could be for him and for all of you in the work that you do. Um, but over time, like, now he's my biggest cheerleader and uh, wholeheartedly is, you know, all in. Um, you know, I know you mentioned David Goggins. He's all into stretching and, and the type of yin yoga that I teach is all deep stretches. like For two deep. hours every night like yeah. David Goggins. <laughs> yeah. so, so that kind of stuff, um, you know, I think when you when you put it together that this isn't just like you know, we're not going to go hug trees first and then have class. Like, it's like, no, this is actually applicable to your line of work and, and, and the kind of stress you're under. And when you, when you see how simple some of these practices can be uh, and how they don't seem like an extra thing, it's just what you do. And it just becomes a little bit more of who you are. I'm telling you the breathing stuff, I'll do it grocery shopping or and I'll that's do perfect. It wherever and that's the that's the whole thing like 
when you're standing in line at the grocery store, when you're getting gas, when you're sitting in your patrol car, when you're all the things. I mean, it's just connecting your thoughts with your breath, creating those moments that you're creating these these connections. If you do that in times of ease, you're going to have that muscle memory to do it when the shit's hitting the fan. Sure. Absolutely. And that's important because that's when you need it. You know, I think um, I was I, I shared something recently about, you know, of a waterfall, the metaphor of a, of a waterfall. And you don't cross the waterfall at the part where you're going to go over the edge. I mean, that's a bad day. But maybe 50 yards back, the water is much calmer and you can cross. You can make a decision. You can you know, make choices that are going to be helpful for you. So practicing when you're at the grocery store is great because then when you're on scene and you've just seen something more horrific than you ever thought you'd encounter in your life, you're, you have that muscle memory to come back to how can I ground myself right now? How can I center myself and get myself back on track? Because now I got to go do something else. Right. You know, it's interesting. And I think it's the same thing with anxiety. And, and I don't think I'm unique in this, but I've been in, involved in law enforcement really since I was 18. So I'm 31 now, so 13 years or so. Seen, and I was a homicide detective for a while. So mm. dead bodies, all ages, whatever you want to talk about. Um, I don't really react to it anymore. I really don't. However, I am conscious enough to know that something is happening in my body. I'm There's a... Re- the human body is amazing in that it can just adapt and overcome and it will put processes in place so you don't have to worry about it. However, I still know that something is happening behind the scenes. And even if you don't feel the stress and anxiety, right, you might feel great. That's just probably means your body has developed something. It doesn't mean it's good. So right. you still need to work on the breath and all of that. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, you guys have to have that separation, right? Or else you couldn't do your job. I mean, Bill would tell me something he'd seen, experienced. And I mean, that would just knock me out, you know, but you guys, you have to develop some sense of, of, of space between your emotion and what you're experiencing just to get through your day. Um, so that makes a lot of sense. The important thing is that you are, when you're off, having those moments where you are connecting with sensation in the body again, because you get to a point where you've desensitized yourself so much and you you don't want to get too far. You don't want that separation to grow too much. So, you know, for me, that's a big piece of eye rest. It gets you out of your thinking mind and into the feeling body. So that's a really important piece um, that you don't want to lose and it's not like you can't ever get it back, but I'm saying don't let the it become a cavern. Right, yeah. Yeah, because I've experienced, I, I've gone through that. I've gone through waves throughout my career. My wife is a saint, by the way, just uh, with- P.S., of course, y- hello. Yes, any any <laughs> uh, spouse of a law enforcement officer or military, yeah. because trust me, I've gone through the just being distant and until I really started to put a name to things and start working on things, because and everybody's different, right? It might hit your you in your third year. It might hit you in your seventeenth year. It's yeah. going to happen at some point. So you might as well just prepare for that and start start working on things. Can we talk about the IRS? Because sure. I've never heard of that, mm-hmm. uh, and I know that's something that 
Are you an expert on this? I don't know if you're an expert or not, but I know you're trained in well, it. Well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I am. Uh, so iRest is called integrative restoration. Um, it was developed by Dr. Richard Miller. Um, and he was working on it with veterans. So, you know, this this connection, this meditative connection with with the body, this is not new, okay? He didn't like invent this. It's been around for thousands of years. He just took this ancient practice and really connected it to everyday life. In particular, um, with the veterans he was working with at Walter Reed Medical Center, hence the Department of Defense tie-in. So what they found was the people that are coming back and being handed the bag of pills, right? The old-fashioned way to deal with things. You're just masking the issues at hand, and then you're giving them worse side effects. And then what's happening? The suicide rate's going through the roof, right? So that's this. That's a bad day, right? So what he was doing was taking you out of your busy thinking mind, those looping thoughts that keep you awake at night, that disconnection from the physical body, that disconnection from emotion, um, maybe even belief, feeling, all of these things, and helping you to uh, reconnect back with the, the felt senses in the body. So it's a very particular protocol. Um, roughly 10 steps, and it just systematically connects through bringing you in a deeper state of relaxation. And what they found was not only are people having phenomenal results and, you know, Vietnam vets that have used the recordings I have uh, or I've worked with, they're sleeping for the first time. Wow. I mean... You know, Vietnam was a while ago. I mean, these guys have been struggling and been like, well, I've tried this sleeping pill. I've tried this. I've tried I've tried to drink myself to sleep. I've tried to take the Which pills. Which is not I've tried- sleep. Any sleeping pill or drinking yourself. You're not actually sleeping. You're just being sedated. sedated. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So so it's like if you can address the 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 root of the issue, then you don't need to be looking outward to find something to, you know, numb out um, to the point where that's not helpful either, because that's probably leading you down a road of worse decisions. Absolutely. So um, so we work to cultivate within you this connection to your heartfelt mission, your intention for that's going to take you closer to that. So your heartfelt mission really relates to your purpose, um, you know, what is it that drives you? Why Why do you do what you do? So from your heartfelt mission, your intention might arise. Uh, something you can do each day that takes you a step closer. So it kind of gives you this like life framework. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what can I do today to, even if it's just one small step closer, you know, what is it? We move into something called your inner resource. That's a really big piece I think people that struggle with, and P.S., you don't have to have a diagnosis of PTSD or anything to to do these things, um, but you might certainly have some aspects of that. You might re-experience, like you said, a difficult scene you've been on, or you you might have that that disassociation of of yourself and the feeling body, things like that. When you realize that you have within you this inner resource 
that this place within you that is just untouched by outside circumstances. That's a really big gift. Absolutely. So we work to use a memory of a time when you experience the most ease and invite in what that feels like. Maybe it was a vacation. Maybe it's being at your grandma's house and she makes you something good to eat. Maybe right. it's, you know, all these things. But we invite in your senses to connect in with this this felt sense of ease in the body so that you could be on a really horrible scene that takes your breath away. You could go sit in your car and just for a moment reconnect with this inner resource, reconnect with that sense of ease and safety and calm. And then again, it's just another way to ground, right? And get back to what it is you need to do. So, you know, the protocol, like I said, there's there's 10 steps of it, but while I want you to understand the framework of it, I want you to pick the pieces that resonate with you and then use them in your life. Like I always tell people, I don't want you to to need me, right? All yeah. the time for our class. I want you to just understand the framework and and there there will be certain pieces that make a lot of sense and really resonate with you. Use them. That's it. I think the identifying the why, right? I think I don't know if you said this or I was just thinking it, but like mm -hmm. wh why do you wake up in the morning? Like what do you what are you doing here? I actually have that conversation with the men and women that I work with all the time. I think mm -hmm. it's so easy for people just to get caught up in the day-to-day -day hustle and bustle and just wake up and go to your job and come home and do a thing. But actually, do you find that people, do some people struggle with actually identifying what it is they're doing? Yeah, I think it can be a tough thing to, because I think we do get really caught up in just the robotics of day-to-day -day life, you know, and, and then you, especially as of late with so much shut down, there's like less to do. So it's like, wow, I woke up, I'm going to go to work, I'm going to eat dinner, I'm going to wake up, go to work. And, you know, it's right. like that, the monotony. So, so, you know, helping people connect with how do you want life to live through you? What do you want that to look like? And if it's not something that you're doing right now in the moment, you know, imagine what would that look like? And then not only what would it look like, but how would that feel? So, it, you know, inviting in that feeling of, would you be really proud of something that you're doing? Would you be really, you know, your heart just be warmed by working with, you know, a food bank or something or, or whatever it might be. It could yeah. be a personal thing. It could be something greater for society. It could be really anything. But I think when you connect with that, then it's like, okay, I have this guiding principle now, something to kind of move me forward so that you do have more of a, a vision. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Something that worked for me was actually just writing it down. You know, yeah. I actually physically sat down and kind of was like, what, do, what am I doing here? What do I want out of life? Where mm -hmm. do I want to be in the next one, three, five years, 10 years? Actually sitting down and forcing yourself to actually articulate what that is. It's hard, actually. I, yeah. it, took me, it took me a few days, actually. Uh, but actually physically write down and put that in writing. What was the other thing you were saying? Was it inner resource? Yes. Can you explain that again? Yeah. So it's this felt sense of ease in the body. Mm. So, you know, technically that's what it is. 
What we do, though, is we use a memory. So, for example, I could walk into a room of 300. I could, your whole department could be sitting out in the room with us. Mm-hmm. And I could move through this entire practice and you would all have a completely unique experience. And that's what I love about iRest. And that's what it means really to be a, a trauma-informed uh, teacher is to, I'm not triggering to anyone and I'm meeting you right where you are. So I'm giving you a broad enough direction that you can have a different experience than the person sitting next to you. But you're all kind of following the same protocol. Sure. Like the end point is kind of everybody's trying to get to the same point. It's just you get there different. There's different roads to get there. Exactly. Because if I told all of you, okay, everybody imagine that you're floating on this lake and you're like, thanks, Jen. I drowned. I had a near drowning experience. I feel awesome now. Thanks. And now you're upset. So, but I mean, unfortunately that's what happens in, you know, sometimes there's all different kinds of meditation and I'm not saying it's bad to say you're, you know, someone told you once that you should float on a lake, I'm not saying they're bad, but I am saying that's not trauma-informed. And that's a really important distinction for the the practices that I teach on purpose to be very sensitive to that. So for your inner resource, we use, I allow you to come up with the memory that connects you back with that feeling. Because especially like you're saying, when you when you have that you know, disassociation with the physical body, emotional body, you need to have something that helps draw you back. So for, you know, our purposes, it would be a memory or maybe someplace you'd like to go. We can't travel right now, but maybe you'd really like to go to X, Y, Z and you envision like, oh, how amazing it would be to just relax in that place, not have a care in the world, you know, so the memory itself can change. And for you, it might change over time. But that felt sense in the body, you'll feel it in a physical place. And you'll have that physical marker, that physical reminder that you can connect back to, even in the midst of horrible things. I've talked with uh, military vets that have, you know, been deployed. And in the middle of a war zone. And they said that one of their saving graces was having that inner resource that they can connect back to. They're hearing mortars, you know, things going off all around them. And they're like, okay, just for the next 30 seconds, I'm going to give myself that feeling again. Yeah, you would have to. But like you said, that's you. Let me just ask this. How long do these sessions take? Like if somebody goes to an IRS session, like what, what, where are we looking at time frame wise? So, uh, you know, typically those classes look like an hour, but I could make it, I can make them a half an hour. We can focus on something specific and do a 15 minute. Um, there could be a five minute. So, so say for instance, you come to me and you say, uh, I'm really dealing with pain that I, I can't seem to access, even with the medication they've given me, I can't, then we could do a five minute focused uh, eye rest for pain. Uh, it can be a focused piece for sleep. So it can kind of expand to fit or shrink down. Sure. Um, but typically, if I am teaching an eye rest class, like we had a Zoom eye rest uh, class that I'm going to keep doing for mm-hmm. you guys, yeah. That's an hour, but you can certainly 
get the same kind of benefits. Even in a 30 minute session, uh, the research says that if you do a 30 minute IRS session a couple times a week, that gives you the same brain rest as if you slept eight hours. Wow. So think about that. So if you're someone who struggles with sleep and you're sleeping only two to three hours a night, you're probably waking up and not feeling rested. You're pretty aggravated. And now you're going to head right back into work, get more aggravated, and then, <laughs> then go home and not sleep again. And maybe you're going to just try to drink enough, like you've said, to sedate yourself to get back to sleep. Instead of that, you just put in your headphones, listen to this. You don't have to believe it. You don't even have to even think that anything I'm saying is making any sense. Your brain is like, listen, we can bypass you and your right. and your um, not not non-belief here, um, and you'll get that same kind of benefit of brain rest. And that's a whole other story. But yeah, that's fascinating, though. I mean, um, I think you just hit on a good point too. The you know the brain is a powerful thing. Mm. Especially with the breath work, I keep going back to that just because what I use. But yeah. I don't have to believe it; just it works. I don't. Right. I mean, you don't have to believe that. And imagining a circle in your mind and breathing around it is going to help you. But what happens is you're triggering that parasympathetic response, and suddenly your heart rate is changing a little bit. Suddenly, there are markers in your saliva within minutes of changing your breath that show. That, that increased saliva production, which means better digestion, which means, I mean, it just, it's this domino effect of things. And I think because so much happens subconsciously uh, between the brain and the body, we just don't think about that at all. No, uh, yeah. But there's this really, you know, we've been sitting here in chairs, you know, you're in your squad car way too long in this seated position might not seem like a big deal, but you're shortening your hip flexors from the, the prolonged sitting. And then on top of that, you're super stressed. So now we have two pieces going toward the sympathetic nervous system, keeping you in that hypervigilant state for a little too long. Your breath is more shallow. That feeds into it. It's, you know, it's just kind of this domino effect. Then the physical uh, piece goes from the hip flexors. You know, your psoas gets super tight. Well, now your low back hurts yep. and now you have a pain in your knee and you're like, why is my knee hurt? Well, your knee hurts because your hip flexors are shortened because you're not doing anything physical to stretch out your body. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you know, it's all, hey, you know, it's like the, it's all connected. Everybody, you know, if somebody's shoulders hurting and their knees hurting, they think it's the shoulder or the knee. It never is. No. It's never what's hurting you. It's the surrounding components where something's jacked up. And you need to figure out what that is. It's probably your opposite hip, but you know. <laughs> probably. Well, you, you hit on digestion. So I don't, I, I love fasting. I just, it, it does wonders for me. I think it's great. It's not for everybody. If you're a diabetic, don't do it. Mm -hmm. However, um, my digestion is very poor when I'm working. So I really don't eat that much when mm -hmm. I'm working because my cortisol is through the roof. Mm -hmm. My body's just trying to do a bunch of other things and it's not... Digestion is a very uh, laborious process for the body. So, yeah. However, if you can calm yourself down mm -hmm. and work on that digestion and, you know, actually work on your gut health and all that kind of stuff, because you're just shoving food in your mouth 
yeah. if it's not getting digested properly, well, you're not going to feel too great. So, you, so the mm. so the parasympathetic response helps support that digestive process, and I mean, that's another thing. That we're, like I love when science confirms a practice or something that makes sense to me. So I think that's what kind of drew me down the paths that I went down training wise, because I do love that. I mean, I'm a major science nerd on the inside. So I, <laughs> I love those components and that parasympathetic response without it, everything is contracted, you know, and your saliva is dried up. If you think about like, I'm not a huge fan, unless you're in a yoga room and I can put everyone in a child's pose, I'll teach a thousand people. But I do get very nervous talking to big groups of people that are like, you know, looking at me with the lights on. Mm. Like in a yoga studio, it's dim and quiet and everyone's kind right. of <laughs> chill. I get a little um, nervous. So what's the first thing that happens? You know, your heart starts to race, your saliva dries up and you're like, yep. where can I get something to drink? You yep. know, so, so it's it's interesting that how your physical body responds to maybe some thoughts of anxiousness and suddenly that all happens and that's a sympathetic nervous system response so we have our uh, promotional process coming up which involves a written test and an oral board exam and i remember the first time i went through that walking mm -hmm. into the room you have two lieutenants and a captain and your mouth just goes dry and it's like don't mess up. Well, this, is, <laughs> this is awful. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. The eye rest. Mm -hmm. How long does it typically take someone? Because you touched on somebody's in a stressful situation. You know, they're not going to be able to call you. So right. you should, you know, the whole goal of this is to give them the resources so they can do it on their own. Right. In your experience, where does it, like, how many times do people start to get comfortable with doing this stuff on their own? I think it takes a handful of times um, of listening to either listening to the recordings and getting a getting kind of a flow of um, uh, of what connects with you, like what really resonates. Um, when people come to me and work one on one, I think it's a little bit more concrete because I'm speaking to you. So I might ask you, you know, so tell me, you know, is there something that's been really nagging you lately? Are you having difficulty sleeping? Um, you know, are you really consumed by looping thoughts? Um, you know, what is it that's affecting you the most? And from that, I can start to work with you into its opposite. So, you know, opposites is another uh, big piece of eye rest where if you're, whether it's opposites of cognition, opposite of belief, opposite of emotion, if you're stuck in a fear uh, cycle, you know, well, what's the opposite of that? How can I help invite ease in for you? So um, I think when you're listening to the recordings and you start to really identify, you know, what is my inner resource? You know, what is that piece that's going to be important for me? That's probably the number one thing I think that people connect with the most at first. Um, I think a handful of, of sure. times, because I know that when I've worked with people um, in group settings and spouses as well, um, you know, I have a lot of wives I've worked with that 
you know, the inner resource was really hard to connect to, like that feeling of ease because the their heightens uh, awareness of of worry and stress and and all of the things um, because it's not just worrying about you guys at work. Then it's like dealing with the kids and everything else and all this cumulative stress from outside too. Absolutely. That can be a hard thing to connect with. And I think the beauty of iRest is if at first you don't feel something or you don't connect with something or I reference connecting to a memory of ease and you're like, I, I just can't. Um, that's okay. There's literally no way, no wrong way to experience I rest. It's meeting you exactly where you are. So if you are listening to a recording and you're in your head and thinking like, I don't feel literally anything, that is something. Noticing that you're not feeling that emotion, thought, physical feeling, and that's perfectly fine. Over time, you will find, you know, just a little bit of something will stand out to you. Um, you know, when you think about these these guys that were in Vietnam that have been telling me for years and years and years, not only are they not sleeping, but they're just numb. And now they're telling me, I'm waking up and I feel rested. Maybe I only slept an extra hour, but I actually feel rested now. I've never felt rested. Right. I've never been able to connect with a space of like feeling ease. It's been such a long time. So I think it's really kind of different for each person, but it can be done. Yeah, no, I, I definitely, I'm a firm believer it can be done. Yeah. Can we talk about, you have a video on how memories are stored and talking about the hippocampus and the amygdala. Can yeah. we go into that a little bit? Sure. So there are three areas of the brain in particular uh, that deal with, uh, or that are really important for law enforcement, military, any kind of first responder that's right. dealing with uh, that uh, stress over time. So your prefrontal cortex, which is in the front portion of, of the brain, um, your hippocampus, which, you know, I used to be a special education teacher years ago. Mm -hmm. I taught elementary for quite a while. So I think in my video, I call it like a squirmy worm. It yep. does look like a, it does look That's exactly like, what you call it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, um, I can't help it. You know, a kindergarten comes out of my mouth sometimes. I can't help it. So it kind of looks like a little wormy uh, thing. And your amygdala is nearby. Now, your prefrontal cortex is like making decisions for you. It's, it's, telling, it's give, giving you lots of feedback all the time. And it's giving feedback to the hippocampus, which is where our memories are stored. Um, they get a timestamp. So it's telling you like, this happened right now, this is happening right now, this happened last year. And oh yeah, this, this memory has been updated because we've received more information. And I think in the video I refer to like, you're, you go to dinner and you're waiting for someone to come and they don't come and you're like, this jerk just yep. totally stood me up. No. Then you find out later, oh, there was car trouble. Oh, of course. So oh, now... They're still a jerk. I mean, they're still lying probably. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but the memory has been updated. Okay. So so um, your amygdala is your alarm center. Okay. So, you know, these areas of the brain all have an important uh, job to do. That alarm center is important. It's, it's how you're recognizing... Uh, safety. It's for how you're recognizing, you know, uh, 
times when you're not safe. And they all have a certain size. Over time, with repeated stress, your prefrontal cortex will start to shrink. Your hippocampus will start to shrink. So suddenly now the information you were receiving from that prefront, that front part of the brain is not really getting the message to the hippocampus. Now you suddenly can't figure out, oh, did, is this happening now? Should I be really worried right now? Or is this something that happened 10 years ago, right? The hippocampus starts to shrink. You're not really getting that timestamp the right way. You're not really updating memories the same way anymore. And your amygdala is like, ooh, real estate in the brain. Awesome. Let me get a little bigger. So this alarm center grows and it grows. And suddenly you are flying off the handle at the drop of a hat. You're pissed that there's dishes in the sink. You're pissed Stop. that. Stop. That's, that's my trigger. Oh my I'm not kidding. Well, maybe you and My indulge. wife is going to laugh hysterically <laughs> at this. Okay. So. Let's talk about your amygdala. <laughs> so it's truly like little things start to set you off in a way that they probably shouldn't. Um, you know, Chuck, when he listens to this, was a, a vet that I've worked with many times. He's wonderful. And he calls this, um, after him and his wife were at a presentation I did, a session, he said, um, you kind of got me out of some trouble tonight, Jen, because now it makes sense why I'm an asshole sometimes. I'm like, oh, my God. Uh, but, you know, it's true. Like, suddenly, you are just set off so easy. And it's like, you know, how do we fix that? And you can absolutely change that back. That's like the beauty of the brain and neuroplasticity, how, you know, certain areas can grow, certain areas can shrink, and we can change that. So with a mindfulness practice, with a breath practice, doing some physical activity, whatever that looks like for you, the amygdala can start to shrink back down again. And then guess what? Your hippocampus is like, oh, wait, there's space for me again. Let me let me grow back to my normal size. Your prefrontal cortex can come back online. So, you know, I actually wrote this down. In your amygdala, it takes 14 milliseconds for the brain to react unconsciously to sensory input for danger. That seems pretty quick, right? Yeah. It takes 400 to 500 milliseconds to perceive sensation. That's much longer, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, so think about that. Your how quickly you would perceive something as danger, but but it takes much longer time to figure out like, oh, is this actually hurting? Is this actually a problem? So you're reacting a lot quicker, and maybe not in the best way. No, probably not. Probably not. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and when these practices are, are, are something that you're using to help support yourself, there are times when you'll have someone that maybe you're dealing with on a scene and they're angry. You all, you'll probably know pretty easily that they're angry, right? But maybe you go to the next scene and you're starting to perceive now even fear as anger you'll start to misperceive a neutral expression as aggression. I mean, that's, that's fact. Absolutely. And so, but your brain, but to you, 
it's 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 looking the way it's looking because of how your brain has reacted to stress over all this time. So so you want your prefrontal cortex online, you want your hippocampus online, you want all of the pieces of the brain talking to each other to support you in the best way. Uh, you just, when, it's funny because I think a lot of the big misconception, listen, body-worn cameras, right? Police mm-hmm. wear body it's, it's, it's a double-edged sword in the sense of if you watch one of my body-worn camera videos, mm-hmm. you're, you're taking in that information and perceiving it because your brain operates in a certain way. Well, it's not the way that I saw it. And that's what people are missing is that literally the brain is changing and there's police officers out there, probably more than we would care to admit, that are, are not really dealing with um, a brain that's healthy. And they're interpreting and perceiving situations that the average person, quote unquote, is kind of like, whoa, why did they react so quickly to that? I think you just... A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And also, you know... If I'm watching your body cam video, you had a, a thousand things happening at the same time. You know, your your stress levels up. You're in the midst of something where I'm sitting comfortable in my recliner at home saying, oh, geez, you should have, uh, you know, shot him in the leg. You know, something ridiculous. You get to pause it. You can rewind it. You can oh. slow it down and just really. I think that's the I don't think people really understood that body worn cameras really are great. I think they are. They the um benefits far outweigh the negatives. However, one of the big negatives in court is, you know, juries and all just getting to sit there very comfortably and not fully understanding, well, you weren't there, you weren't experiencing the same stressors. You, you literally don't have the same brain as this individual. So Absolutely. Um, that's fascinating. I kind of knew this, but I didn't know it until you just explained it, that literally the brain changes. Absolutely. It changes and it's it changes slowly over time. So it's not like, you know, one day you wake up and you decide like, oh, I'm just going to have this giant amygdala and I'm going to get set off or, you know, there's always somebody you probably know, right? That like, like, whoa, this one, he's kind of a wild guard, you know, kind of, you know, it's something that happens slow. It's like this slow leak. Which might be worse. Right, because a person barely recognizes it. if it happened overnight, they'd be like, "Oh my gosh, I feel so much different." Exactly, and that's why I am such a, you know, big proponent of having these skills and these practices be part of your life, just as like the regular. Like I've said for a long time, you guys go through all this tactical training, you are like ready to go, but. I don't know that I've really ever heard Bill tell me like, oh, yeah, today we were talking about resilience. Like, I, no. Well, uh, it's funny you say it because we are now. <laughs> I know you are now, yeah. which is awesome. Yeah. It's really awesome. But, you know, Bill is just getting doses of it from me, whether he wanted, <laughs> wanted right. it or not. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, going back to that video you mentioned with, you know, talking about the brain those memories, those trauma memories are stored in a much different way in the body too. So, you know, you might go to a scene that's similar to one you experienced before and you get this like jolt through the body, like you, and you're like, whoa, instantly your stress level is up, your heart starts to race and and maybe things haven't even escalated to that point yet, but your body remembers, you know? So that's another reason why uh, physical practices, like I said, I don't even care what it is, as long as you're physically doing something to move your body to get that out, because 
you know, we have a saying in the yoga world that the issues are in the tissues. So the stuff that you are holding on to, the stuff that you've experienced that maybe you didn't quite feel completely at the time, it's in there. It is in the tissues. It's in the fascia surrounding the muscles. And if you're not doing something to engage that, it might show up at a time like you're walking into Walmart and all of a sudden you're like, whoa. Yeah. Where's this panic attack coming from? Like, what's this coming from? And it's 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 the brain trying to process trauma. You know, your brain and your body is always trying to do the best thing for you, whether you're realizing it or wanting it to or not. Yep. So if you have those practices, a mindfulness practice, a physical practice, if those things are part of you every day, that slow leak isn't quite as severe in the end because you've been managing it all this time. What do you do on a daily basis? Um, I always take a, a mental note of some things that I'm grateful for because sometimes that can be hard <laughs> to do, especially as of late where you feel like everything's a little bit sideways. Um, finding a couple things that I'm grateful for. I am always grounding uh, or using some kind of breath technique. I was at uh, the doctor yesterday, had to get something removed, whatever, to get looked at, <laughs> blah, blah. But, you know, I'm not a fan of scalpels and things. So what do I do? I go back to my circular breathing. You know, I knew they were doing something, wasn't really happy about it, a uh, little nervous about it. Go back to the breath. I was at the eye doctor recently. I posted about that. Like, I, I'm not a fan of people sticking stuff in my eyes. It's like, okay, press down through my feet. So it's kind of just, I don't know that it's like, a, okay, at nine o'clock I do this, it's this, but it's um, part of me all the time that I am pressing my feet down, maybe one toe at a time, pressing down into the floor, taking a deep breath, maybe imagining that I'm drawing it up through my legs to kind of shift the breath if I feel like I'm getting a little anxious about something, especially I try not to watch the news at all anymore. But if I do hear something or see something and I start to get a little like a hmm, little worked up about it, doing something to change the breath. Um, so gratitude and breath work is like I, yeah. I can't even I can't think of a time when I don't do that. But uh, the other thing is uh, Bill and I lift weights and um, do some yin together. We've done all kinds of yoga um, practices, but... Um, What's yin? Yin is a seated practice. And that's it. We have done that. When, when the group was here, we have gotten to do that. Um, it's a seated practice. It's very slow. It's a Chinese philosophy of yoga. You come into a position, you resolve to hold that position for a particular length of time, and you remain as still as you can. And it's um, so typically like three to five minutes, you'll hold a position. And in that time, the whole focus is to let go. And that's something that's really hard to do. It is. It's also really tough to be that quiet. Sure. Because you don't give yourself that time you know if, if if you have a minute maybe you're on your phone you're watching a video you're listening to something you're flipping a channel there aren't many times when you can get that still and that quiet which is what makes the practice pretty challenging the positions themselves 
you know, I'm, I'm an adaptive yoga teacher as well. So if you're in a wheelchair, if you're in bed, I can still adapt a practice uh, for you. But that kind of stillness can be really challenging. Not everybody wants to be so alone with their thoughts. Yeah, just the silence too. I mean, a lot. Of, I think a lot of people just keep themselves so busy because they don't even want to give their mind a chance to start processing things. Exactly. Exactly. So yin is a very challenging uh, practice in that regard. Um, but we, you know, the, the, the positions are rather simple, but you're working to find those places where you're holding on. And you could be really surprised. I mean, even right now, if I just said to you to relax your jaw and then asked you to notice just your right cheek and to let it soften a little bit. And then the left. And then it's like, I was holding all that tension in my face, you know, like yep. it's kind of surprising. So you get into a position and using your breath, I refer to circular breathing a lot in a yin practice. We just try to soften into the breath and find those areas where you're holding on and just envisioning, you know, cell by cell, you're just letting go and relaxing into a position. And from doing that, you're helping to get deep into the fascia that surrounds the muscle. And, you know, if you think of a bodybuilder that's like stuck in a yep. position, like it doesn't really have a lot of mobility, mm -hmm. uh, yin offers that flexibility. It, it creates like this lubrication for uh, the muscles to be able to move so that you can turn your, turn your body, you can turn your head and look behind you if you're... I guess we have backup cameras in our cars now. We don't really yeah. need to do that. But, <laughs> you know, it gives you that greater ease of movement. And also, like I said, you know, the issues are in your tissues. You might be in a position and from that quietness, from that smoothing out the breath and and getting a little deeper into the pose, there might be just suddenly a thought comes into your mind. You're thinking about something from when you were, you know, nine and you're like, what the heck? And it might have an emotion with it. I mean, I've had I've had MMA fighters in my yin class in tears because something, you know, they they touched on something in the physical body and that emotional piece came out. And that is a really normal and very typical thing to have happen. So it's a it's a challenging practice. It's great for athletes. Um, and it's great for people that are sitting in their squad cars all day and uh, and tightening up. It, it creates this openness in the body and, and helps create that positive domino effect into that parasympathetic response. We just want to keep doing things to reintroduce that relaxation response to the body um, and the mind. Yeah, you touched on tension. Uh, I worked with a guy, his name is Matt Gurmshide. He worked for a company, OPEX, when I was going through the Ironman stuff. He was basically a coach for me, and we talked about the tension stuff. And you're you're hitting a lot of, of points with me today. But the tension in the jaw, mm -hmm. that's me, hundred percent. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm good enough now that I can recognize it. But it doesn't mean it, it still happens from time to time. My shoulders and the back of my neck, like I guess my traps mm -hmm. back there, which usually causes shoulder tightness because mm -hmm. everything in my neck and upper back gets tight. Um. Man, I bet people don't like people really don't realize like when they're sitting in the squat car and your molars are slammed up against each other. Yeah. And you're just used to it. 
Well, and there's a really interesting connection between the jaw and the hips. So, you know, in development, when we were like literally like zygotes, okay, mm-hmm. there were two poles that stretched to create you as a little bitty baby. Right. Those two poles that separated, one was the jaw and one became the um, abdominal hip area. They have been connected for a very long time. Wow. So typically, if you're having a lot of stress and strain in the jaw, if I give you a few yin postures to work on to open the hips, you will find a release in the jaw. And if your shoulders are, say your right shoulder is bothering you, most likely your left hip is out of alignment. So there's usually that cross uh, lateral change, you know that? Yeah, because if, you know, if my left hip is tight, then my right side is probably overcompensating for that. And it's just a whole, mm-hmm. a whole thing. You know, it's in, that's the biggest thing that the Ironman training did for me was, let's say you're just the average athlete and you run three or four miles and you bike, or maybe you never bike, but at some point there's little, let's say you're on the bike and you're just going out for an 80 mile bike ride. You're doing so many repetitions. If you have any imbalances, eventually that's going to come out. It's not going to come out if you're only doing 15, 20 miles. Right. Same thing with running. If you're running three to five miles and you have imbalances, you're probably going to be fine. Start getting into 15, 16, 17, 18 miles. Those things are going to start uh, coming out. So hip flexors and hips were big for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, once I started opening up my hip flexors and my ankles too. I'm flat-footed. I'm pigeon-toed. Mm-hmm. I got just a weird lower half going on. But the recognizing tension, working on flexibility is crucial. Absolutely crucial. Absolutely. And then, you know, you're getting into that... Uh that cross brain, you're trying to engage the left and the right brain as much as possible and create that uh, that crossover. You want both hemispheres of your brain speaking to each other to make your life a lot easier. So in the postures, you know, we're, do- we're crossing the midline. We're creating a mismatched movement or movement that you might not expect, like things to just wake up the brain a little bit on both sides to help not only with uh, how the brain is connecting, but how the brain's talking to the body too. Is that really the definition of mindfulness? Just being aware of your body? Is that kind of what? It's like that brain-body connection, like being metacognitive, thinking about thinking, thinking about being aware of your thoughts, really cultivating that ability to be the observer and move from that point. Like you are not your thoughts. You know, how deep are we, how, how deep you want to go down this rabbit hole, right? It's Jen, like, <laughs> I go deep on things, so. So, so, you know, like that's really the quintessential piece, right? Just that awareness so that you stop those looping thoughts quicker. You stop that haunted house scenario a little bit quicker, than letting it play out and letting the body react to it. You know, there's just, everything is so connected. And I think in our busy life, we live in our thoughts, we live in our head. We don't really think in this way. So if you can, you know, have these little frameworks that say, you know, hey, here's here's the here's the plan, here's the map. Right. Choose what resonates with you 
if you incorporate this into your life, you're going to uh, benefit from it greatly. And frankly, so is your family. You know, it rubs off on everybody. I said something at the table, probably, you know, around New Year's when it was like, oh, hope this can't get any worse, you know? And my kids were like, mom, you say all the time, don't put that in the universe. Don't even speak to that. Don't even give words to, and I'm like, oh my gosh, these kids are listening. I can't believe it. (laughs) But it's true. Yeah. It's true. Absolutely. So what what are some of the things that you specifically offer? So, so what, what it, uh, what's your website is jemboylo.com. Yes. I'll put a, a link in the description in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Do you have like a company? Is it called something like, let's get into that. So, you know, my official like LLC is uh, flow with Boylo because it rhymes and people can say my, helps people say my name. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I have to check this. Every time I write your name on, I always have to check the spelling. Oh, trust it's me. really not that difficult. It's just. It, it is. Yeah. Doyle was much easier. My maiden name was much easier. I yeah. gotta say. Um, but um, I do right now online. Uh, I have, I've been really speaking to, you know, developing and cultivating this inner warrior and that you have this strength within you that maybe you didn't know you had, or maybe you didn't know how to access. So that's kind of been my overarching um, focus. Mm-hmm. Um, and in particular, helping uh, families of first responders, whether you're on the job or whether you're the spouse or even the kids um, of. So um, I do have... Uh, a SoundCloud account, which has all kinds of free meditations. I do have some iRest meditations on there and I continue to add to that. So right now there's a, a selection of, you know, some stuff's an hour, some stuff is eight minutes. So something you can do on the go just to experience it and maybe just try the different meditations, see what you like, see what you don't like. If there's something that is really nagging you, like, man, I really cannot sleep and this is my biggest thing, I'll do a recording for that. Because if it's going to help you, it's going to help a thousand other people. So I'm all about putting that out there. Um, I do, you know, now with the world of COVID, um, I'm not teaching uh, groups uh, in, you know, together in person right now, but I am teaching online. So um, I have ongoing workshops on mindfulness practices and whatnot. I do work with people one-on-one. That's probably what I do the most of, um, helping people, whether it's a one-time session that you want to have, or maybe it's something you want to explore over multiple sessions. Um, I have some people I see a couple times a month, people I see once a month, people I see as like a a tune-up every few months. Um, So there are a lot of different um, options um, on my website, there is a, a page where I, I have descriptions uh, of the different offerings that I have. But I really do love working one-on-one with people and kind of helping them identify, you know, what what are your biggest uh, biggest issues and, and how can I help you walk through it? Because walking around it doesn't help, no. <laughs> you know. Let me ask you this because you, I mean, you are really working with healing people more or less. Is that exhausting for you? Um, Maybe exhausting is not the right word, but just that that seems like a 
it can be heavy sometimes. Yeah. It can be heavy. Um, I think that if I didn't have a practice for myself, if I wasn't so grounded in what I do, I think it would be very hard for me to hold because really I'm holding space for you. And, you know, I'm not doing the healing, right? I'm the guide. You're healing yourself. And I think that's really important no matter who you're working with, whether it's me or someone else. If someone if someone's telling you like, Oh, I'm going to heal you. Like, please run the other way. Okay. Like that's, there are plenty of people like that. And that's kind of like, no, thanks. Um, I'm the, I'm like the tour guide. Okay. So I have done a tremendous amount of training. I'm actually, um, in the full certification program now for iRest to be a, a certified iRest trainer. So, um, while I am, uh, trained in iRest through Warriors at Ease and uh, the iRest Institute themselves. Now I'm in the a much deeper uh, dive. So, how much longer is that going to take? It'll probably take. It might be a full two years before wow. the whole process is done. And that was started, you know, a couple, maybe two years ago. Um, so it's a very deep process it's a really big responsibility um i take it really seriously so um yeah if i think if i didn't have my own grounded practice to hold space for so many people i would probably you know cry or something (laughs) because it's 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 a lot i mean and people really i always honor that people are extraordinarily vulnerable when they talk to me and um you know so a big part of what i do is you know i want people to always know it's confidential um it's between you and and me and you know i had even offered before um i think matt put it out with like through the fop like i would do even phone sessions um i do sessions over facetime i do them over the phone and even if someone wanted a session and they didn't want to tell me their name they don't have to yeah Um, you know, I'm more about like, how can I be a part of the solution? I, I see, you know, the numbers from blue help and the suicide rates and the last year it was ridiculous. It was just awful. And, um, I really, I believe so deeply in these non-pharmaceutical solutions. And I love that there's, there's no harm that can come from. Yeah. You're going to do a meditation. Oh, okay. Like right. it's not going to, it's not going to hurt you. We don't need to figure out, well, you do need to figure out your dosage quote unquote for a meditation, but yeah, there's no side. I mean, the pharmaceutical industry, you're really good. You're probably going to run into some problems for every, for every action. There's an equal and opposite. Right. Yeah. So you're putting something in your body. Something's going to happen. Right. And you know, there is a time for medication. Um, and there might be people that it's like, that's a really important piece of their, of you know their their healing process and that's okay i just love that these are all supplemental things that are a non-pharma option uh you can't do too much meditation it's never going to hurt you absolutely so what are you offering i know you have been coming to the fop hall where we are now so what are for fop members what are some things that you're offering so um Matt and I have been discussing um, dates for future iRest and also um, online yoga classes. So uh, my plan is to have a weekly 
eye rest meditation that kind of is a standing thing. Um, I'll be putting those dates out soon. And um, pretty much if you follow me on social media, I'll be posting all that, of course, through the FOP. Mm -hmm. Matt will be sharing um, those upcoming dates. I know uh, our next date, I believe, will be at the end of the month. Um, We don't have that in stone yet. But, um, But because of, you know, COVID, um, I have been doing things over Zoom, uh, large group classes over Zoom, and then one-on-one over Zoom, or um, like I said, FaceTime, Skype, whatever's easier for people. So in one sense, I love being in the room with everyone. There's something really special about that. And the group of people that are together, there's there's something really nice that happens. There is this nice piece of the Zoom part where you can be comfortable in your own home. You can turn your camera off. You don't have to say anything. I mean, it's just sitting back and listening. You could be lying down. uh, You know, you can kind of be maybe more comfortable in your own space uh, as opposed to you know, being somewhere else where you might be. Yeah, a group of strangers. Yeah, I was I was going to ask you that if you notice a difference in the you know, whatever you want to call it. There's an energy when people are in the room together. So, um, but Absolutely. if you can't do that, then there's another option. There is. And I think that this has uh, kind of forced all of our hand, right, to to be okay with uh, to, with being online. And it, it is nice because you don't have to travel as well. I know for some people it was hard to get here. Um, you know, the Zoom option, you, you click a link and you're in. Right. Yeah, that's great. Let me ask you this, and this is going to be a loaded question, but... <laughs> What do you want people to take away from our conversation today? Hmm. I think I want people to know that you don't have to look so far outside of yourself where this ease you might be really yearning for, that you have within you so much. Um, it's just a matter of somebody pointing you in the right direction and and giving you some structure to follow. Um, I, these aren't the kind of things that we learned when we were kids. No, not at all. You're right. Um, so that's why I'm, you know, my, our daughters, nope. They're probably like, mom, (laughs) please. We get it. We get it. Okay. But, um, but it's really true. I mean, these are life skills. Um, and I, I really just want people to know that you already have it within you. Yeah, that's what I'm taking away, right? You already have it in you and just small daily practices. It's nothing crazy. It's little just... little and often. Practice little and often. Right. And then in those moments when you find something's hitting the fan, you are ready. And you can help. You can move through it. And maybe if it's not you, maybe you're going to help your coworker move through it. You know, um, there's a, a great guy, Mark DeBona, with Blue Help. <sighs> I mean, he was ready to commit suicide, Mm. pulled behind the building, took out his weapon, wrote a suicide note, put it into an evidence bag so it could be found clean and had his weapon in his mouth. Wow. And another guy pulled up and said, like, hey, Mark, I'm going to talk you through this. So if not for you then do it for someone beside you. Absolutely. I say we end it there, Jen. Sounds good. 
So I will put all of your links in the description. JenBoylo.com. Again, FOP members, you got to take advantage of Jen. She's here. She's doing great work for everybody. And as always, if you learn something, share something. Thank you. Thanks for having me.